Welcome to The Anthroposopher, where we bring anthroposophy to life through interviews, conversations, and explorations. I'm Laura Scappatici, your host. I'm really excited to be talking with Laura Summer and Matt Sawaya about art. In this episode, we talk about what the world would be like without it and do some really fun exercises. So I hope you'll enjoy the whole episode. Stay tuned all the way through the end to hear about two great educational opportunities where you can learn more about anthroposophy. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Laura and Matt. Thank you so much for coming on to the Anthroposopher today to talk about art. I'm just going to introduce you quickly, but I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about yourselves and your work. So Laura Summer, um, you're in Hudson Valley, New York, and you work with Free Columbia. And I'm just so excited to explore all this amazing um, art, uh, innovative art systems that you work with there. And Matt Sawaya, otherwise known as Matre, um, hip hop artist uh, and just artist overall. I'm hoping that um, we can talk a little bit about your works today too and some of the innovative things you've been doing. So basically we're in the middle of this crazy time. Um, people might tune in at different times, but we're in July 2020 right now in the middle of a pandemic, a global pandemic and a lot of unrest in the United States. So why are we talking about art? So you tell me, why are we talking about art? Why is it so important right now? I have, I have some thoughts on it, but you have more, I'm sure. To me, it's like the question has to come before the question of why are we talking about art, then there's the question of, you know, what, what is this situation um, of our world and in our country, um, not only the pandemic, but the whole racial justice question, what is the opportunity that's being presented to us um, as human beings? It seems like generally in our individual lives, we learn through crisis. Um, we, we, we don't change a lot when we're just really comfortable and um, everything seems fine. We really change when we're faced with something dramatic and difficult. It could be an illness, it could be a life situation. And so now our whole world and our country um, is being faced with uh, a crisis, a huge, a huge uh, opportunity for change and development. And so we get to look a little bit at um, how do we want life to be? What's, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, what are we going towards? What kind of changes could we make? Um, that would make kind of a new reality for us um, as human beings. What is it to be a human being? And, um, and then through that, if we look at this as an opportunity, then maybe we can look at what's art? Uh, what is, what's the door that art opens? Um, and um, yeah, so it's art. <laughs> so what is that door that art opens? Um, yeah, for me, I've been thinking a lot about how this time that we're in and all of these different challenges that we're facing collectively 
it's really easy for it to put us into a place of um, our own opinions and our own judgments and our own intellectual understanding of what's going on and trying to hold my place and my thing and I want to be right and have a stance that I can protect and defend and that's the way I feel and the way I think. And in the midst of all that, I've really been thinking a lot about what, what can help us to get to a deeper place that isn't about my own opinion and my own judgment. What sort of cuts through that and gets to a deeper level of meaning um, that can invite me into the question, not so much of how do I see this and what's my opinion, but actually the question, what's needed? And can I show up for it, even if it challenges me to put some of my own views or judgments aside? And I feel like art allows us to get to those parts of ourselves where that kind of experiencing of reality can happen. And we can connect in, um, you know, one simple picture is the idea of dropping down from the intellect to the heart, you know, and that through that dropping down a different kind of information and understanding comes uh, that we desperately need to be able to do things in a way that's actually in service to the greater good and not just trying to like fight for my side and my opinion, but really trying to show up for what is needed and how do I serve that? And I think art can really open a door to that deeper connecting that informs that possibility, yeah. Well, that was really beautiful and deep. And what I expected here, um, I think that, you know, that word art is in the word heart. I've seen that in places where they, mm. they write that word and, and art is in there. And um, I really feel what you're saying, Matt, about, and Laura, about, you know, that the crisis becomes the, the possibility for a change. And that is how we change. And that if we stay in this sort of static, I, and I can find myself in this loop of just thought about an opinion about what's happening, you know, with wearing masks or what's happening with racial justice or what's happening with my kids going back to school or not going back to school. And um, if we bust out the watercolors on the table and my kids, you know, go to do that, the whole, everything changes in the, in the room if I allow myself to be with that color and water um, on a piece of paper. And mm -hmm. so it does take me out of this, you know, messy, busy, um, stuck place into, into a different spot. And I think anthroposophy helps develop that quality of open-mindedness too. And art, art does that too, is what I hear you saying, Matt, that there's this thing with open-mindedness that's connected to, to art as well. Um, can you, just to, just to dovetail a little bit, you're both connected to anthroposophy. Can you just briefly, um, in a couple sentences, talk about like how you encountered it and when you encountered it? People always wanna know the, the story around you know, people's connection to it. Yeah, well, for me, um, my parents were 60s liberals, and they were both atheists, and they were looking for a, an alternative to the public school system in New Jersey. 
Um, and so they sent me to Green Meadow Waldorf School by mistake. They, they never knew what was behind it, that there was any spiritual orientation. Um, and um, <clears throat> if they had really known, they definitely would have pulled me out. But my sister and I learned early on not to mention anything about the verses that had to do with God or any sense of, of spirituality. Um, and so, yeah, I went to school as a Waldorf, as a Waldorf student through eighth grade. That was all there was at that point. Um, and um, then I had really not much to do with it until I was in my late 20s when I went to an information session at the Minnesota Waldorf School and realized, oh, this is my path. I have to like get to work here and start studying it. So that's where it started. Uh, yeah, for me, it's interesting to think about um... Because in a way, I think I was connecting with the essence of what we could talk about as what's working through anthroposophy, anthroposophy as a living spiritual process that I had encountered and was working with that long before I had ever even heard the name anthroposophy. Um, and, and that took a more clear step in my life, uh, meeting a community called Shade Tree in LA and a friend, Orlin Bishop and others who were involved in a conversation around, um, yeah, how do we open spaces for supporting each other's paths and destiny in the world? And through that, there were different spiritual streams that came into our conversations and one of them was anthroposophy, but I didn't even know the name or no, I didn't have a title on it. And then uh, in 2009, uh, Orland invited me to go to visit the youth initiative program, YIP, in Sweden. And then I showed up there and realized I was in all these conversations with people where I completely spoke the same language and really understood what they were saying and they could understand my perspective on spirituality in the world. Um, and all of a sudden people shared that this was coming out of this concept of anthroposophy. Um, and it was an interesting experience because, yeah, I just hadn't been working with it with a name and a title. Uh, but then I connected with that group of people and eventually a whole network and, and became more involved with, uh, with this community of people working in this way. Well, those are those are two great stories. I love Laura that you um, you and your sister made a decision not to talk about any time where it was like <laughs> anything about spirit to your parents, and that Matt, you were you were already in this whole language and um, spiritual path, and um, then you know found this other connection that had more of a, a structure around it. So that that's yeah. pretty cool. It was just natural. I think a lot of people have that experience with anthroposophy where it's like, oh yeah, like, oh yeah, this syncs up with everything I've sort of been working with. And it, it mm -hmm. puts some words around it that and some structure that maybe I, I didn't even know was there and you know experience. So okay, thank you. So getting back to art um, as to artists um, can you tell us a bit about um, some of the things you think would be needed right now um, for people during this time and then some of the innovative things that, you know, the two of you are doing 
Um, and I know, I know, Matt, you were on the West Coast and now you're on the East Coast, so that was a big change. So I don't know if that has anything to do with some of the innovation you're working on within your own um, artistic process, but yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, Laura, how about some stuff that you y'all are doing right now and how it could help me, for example, out here in California? Um, well, I think that before I say to anybody, like whoever might be eventually listening to this, you should do this or you should do that. Um, or even before I say we're doing this or that, um, I kind of like us to go through a little bit of an imagination that would help, I think, to see what are the aspects of something that is called art that could enliven a person. Um, and I think it will be different for different people. So um, if we could imagine it away, uh, that might inform us a little bit about what is needed. Um, so if you, if you think of something that has been really important to you that you think of as art. So it could be um, a book, it could be a painting, it could be a song, it could be a movie, it could be um, a dance, it, really anything that you would fill in, you know, fill in the, this is how I experienced this art form and why was it important to me. Um, so, like Matt, what would you give me an example? Well, there's so many. Yeah, for some reason, what's coming to mind is some of the early hip hop I listened to. There's a uh, a group called BDP, and um, well, I, I kind of already know where it's going. <laughs> the the exercise Laura's inviting us into, but I'll just say that I I'm not really sure why that came to mind right now, except to say that that particular music was com totally formative in the way that I view the world and was, yeah, yeah, just completely changed my life from a very young age. So that comes to mind for me. Awesome, so you're gonna take us through an exercise right now, Laura. So anybody that's listening could, could kind of go through this process with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody that's listening could think like, what, what's something that had an effect on you um, in one of those, one of those media. Um, so Laura, what would you say? What, what's something that you think of as art, but had, and it had an effect on you? Uh, yeah, I would, I would like to say some of the early hip hop I listened to, but I think I'm gonna go with dance. <laughs> um, yeah, so just, I had like dance lessons, does it count? That I was, I was doing that. Yeah, so I really liked jazz dance when I was very young. Hmm. It wasn't ballet, it wasn't tap. It was just like this more, you know, free kind of form, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. So when I was little, I really loved Peter Pan, the story of Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. And I loved it both as a book. Um, and then I got to see the first um, movie that was made. Um, so that was really, really important for me. And I, I also really love um, Mozart's flute concerto. Um, that's a really important piece of music for me. I listen mm -hmm. to it in the car a lot. Uh, and um, 
So everybody who's listening could think up some of those things. And then what I want you to do is I want you to think about how the world is, how your world and the whole world is, um, if there is no hip hop, there's actually no music. There's no dance class. There's no dance of any kind. You can't go to a dance because dance doesn't exist. There aren't any books. There aren't any movies. There aren't any magazines. There aren't any paintings. There aren't any photographs. So I'm looking into, on this, um, on this call, I'm looking into Laura's house and I can see things behind her. And all of those things you have pinned up, all of those uh, little paintings and things like that, those are gone. Even your curtains, which are printed with this butterfly motif on them, they're gone. Um, all, it's all gone. And so if you live into that for a, a minute, like you probably don't want to stay there too long, but live in there long enough that you can imagine what the world is without art. Then I think you can begin to um, say, oh, what I need in my life now is maybe that's like a good book to read or maybe that's um, a music performance or maybe that's to move with other people, whatever that is, because then you can get a little bit more of a sense of what that brings to you um, and therefore also to other people. Um, and we're faced with this question of what kind of life are we going to have? Um, what kind of future do we want to have? And we can begin to say, oh, we actually want a future that has hip hop and that has dance and that has literature and that has poetry and that has color and rhythm and mood and all of the things that make up those that make up our experience of art um yeah so that's maybe a place to start with the question of what what we can do um i've been having this really interesting experience during the pandemic of running online Zoom calls. Um, and I have a number of them going every week and watching people do artistic work. They, so they do the artistic work during the week and then they come together on the Zoom call and share what that painting or drawing has been during the week. Um, and I've had so many people say to me that this activity has been their lifeline 
in this time. Yeah, a lot of people have been completely isolated. Um, we have a, a woman from India on one of the calls that hasn't been out of her house for four months. Um, and that this, yeah, that this doing this activity and sharing it with other people is like what's keeping some people um, sane. And so that's, a, that's an interesting thing about art is that somehow the, the activity, the creative activity keeps us or inspires us to be human and, um, and well, yeah, and well. So. Wow, that was a, it was a hard exercise to do. It was really sad. I, I felt unwell thinking about it, honestly. So I can see why. I mean, actually, I don't know what would be left in my space that I'm in right now. Uh, the trash can, probably. Um, <laughs> and maybe some of the computer stuff, some wires. I mean, what a sad existence. I was, for some reason, I was thinking about songbirds and how it would be like walking outside and there'd be no birds, no anything. Like, it would just be devoid of so much I, I don't know what kind of world that is i um can i take one of your classes please because <laughs> sure. pull out of my sadness now <laughs> yeah, totally available <laughs> we'll make sure we talk about those at the end so people know how to get to them um, so just we'll make sure we do that uh wow that was a really powerful exercise thanks for for walking us through it yeah um, Matt, how about you? What are you, what are you thinking? Or Laura, did you want to continue with the thought there? I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was just needed to, you know, get that out. <laughs> yeah, I had a similar experience. It's an intense exercise. Yeah, as we were doing it, I, I another piece of music came to mind, the Bach cello suites. I have an uncle who really loves the Bach cello suites. And I remember as a kid, the first time that it was ever played for me, I think I was in a car with my parents and it was on a cassette tape in the car, like a, a dubbed cassette. And I can remember, you know, the feeling that something was alive in the space that I was in. Like there was another presence mm -hmm. coming through that music and and I was thinking about it as Laura was leading us through this exercise. Um, even when I'm not listening to the Bach cello suites, I can recall in myself the sound and the resonance of the cello bow and the strings. And as I was doing that, I can feel that that resonance is vibrating with something in me. Um, it, it's like it speaks a language that my soul knows. And so it can come awake, even just by recalling it in my memory, mm -hmm. it can, it feels like it helps to wake up this part of myself that knows something deeper about the truth of what it means to be alive and who I am and this like other aspect of myself that's not just in my intellectual thinking or my day to day, you know, way of being in the world um, and then to imagine so 
then I had the thought, just knowing that the Bach cello suites exist holds a space for that in my life. And it's not something that I think about day to day. I don't think about, you know, the Bach cello suites every day or every hour. <laughs> but, but if I do think about them and experience that feeling of how something in them help to wake up this deeper part of myself and continually does every time I either experience the music or think about it. And then I think about that music never having existed. It's like, um, it's like a piece of my soul world being gone. And then to, to just imagine that with one single piece of art is so powerful, you know, particularly if it's something that has really had an impact in our lives on that level. And then to begin going through a list, the first time I did this exercise with Laura, she made us list specific things. So I would have on a list the Bach cello suites, you know, um, a favorite movie of mine, that's uh, Moonlight was a favorite movie of mine that really affected me recently in the last few years. Okay, so I've got those two things on my list. And then um, Laura said Peter Pan, which is a really good one because so many of us can relate to that as a sort of mythology almost in a way. Um, and then we had to go through and cross them out. <laughs> Pretty mean of her, right? Uh, but it's a very powerful experience because with each one of those, even if it's just three, even if it's just one, but let's say it's three, and I cross all three of them out, my world has significantly changed now that they don't exist anymore. It's hard to even imagine, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I really appreciate the exercise because it helps to put it in a frame where we can actually experience it in that more direct way. Yeah. And then I would just say, if we extend that to the time that we're in, um, and if other people can have that experience as well as they go through the exercise of a sort of soul life reality that's awake and resonates when I connect with these different creative pieces, these different works of art, and then can I begin to imagine into what's the significance and importance of that soul life reality being alive and active in my day-to-day -day life and in the world that we're in? And I think through that question, we can start to connect a bit to the role that art can help to play. It's keeping a part of our reality alive and it's a part of our reality that's absolutely essential for us to be able to face the challenges that we're, we're looking at now as a culture. And I think we could even extend that to say, as a question I'm working with, to what extent has the lack of valuing that part of our reality helped to get us into some of the messes that we're in now? Mm. Has the fact that we have a completely hyper-intellectualized worldview as a society been part of what has allowed us to get into such a difficult place because we get into our own fixed locked 
stances and I'm protecting this and you're protecting that and we're living in that place of polarization and conflict as opposed to some other reality that takes us to the world of possibilities uh, that our hearts want to show up for to serve something. And I think art is a, a very powerful doorway into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and into that sense of community where, you know, you are out of your own individualism, you know, where people, I'm just thinking about places where people would all dance together. Like there were certain times where people would come together and dance. I think there's certain countries where it still kind of happens, um, where people come together and dance um, as a, like a village or a town. There's like a night where it happens um, or just different kind of community experiences. I wonder what the level of conflict in communities are, is, you know, what that level is when there are these shared artistic experiences or shared creative experiences. I mean, I, sh I think shared work experiences too, of like plowing a field or taking, you know, getting the hay, harvesting the hay or whatever. Um, but oftentimes even in those experiences where it's work, sometimes there's song happening or there's something else um, that has that creativity to it. And I wonder how that changes the, the connection between the people and what happens during a conflict, if that changes it because they've had these communal, you know, creative experiences together. I think that that can be applied to like really direct things in our day-to-day -day lives as well. Like even the understanding that one thing that's been amazing to me is experiencing certain artwork, like for example, one moment that this really became clear for me, some, some really good friends played a house concert, actually at my parents' house in LA years ago. And then after they played, several of us stayed longer and we went into this conversation that was really deep and allowed for a lot of new thoughts and ideas and feelings to come through the people that were talking. And it became so clear to me in that conversation that we wouldn't have been able to talk in that way or think in that way or feel in that way if they hadn't played first. Mm. And it's really interesting if you think about traditional cultures around the world, so often anything significant that's gonna happen in the community starts with music or song or drumming so we've got a conflict and we all need to sit down and talk about it. We're gonna sit down and the first thing we do is the drummers open the space so that then we are together dropping into a different level where the conversation can take on the kind of meaningfulness that it needs to, to get to the heart of the issue. Um, and the last thing I'll say on that, just cause it's a really cool image that's always stuck with me. Um, as a, a great mythologist and storyteller named Michael Mead. And he talks about this idea that in a certain culture, I can't remember where it was that he was speaking about, every time the leader of the village would come into a political gathering, he would have to come, he or she would have to come in dancing. So first things first, the person comes in dancing, then we can deal with what we have to deal with. And I love that image and you can begin to actually feel, okay, things are gonna be different if we drum first, if we dance first. Yeah. 
I'm just thinking of this fight my kids got in yesterday and like, you know, I, I think we have to have a family talk about it. And I'm just imagining like if we all just <laughs> decided that we would just come into the space where we're going to have like the family meeting and we're just all dancing and then what would happen? The conversation <laughs> would be totally different, totally different. And I'm being kind of silly, but it would be totally different just right from the get go. So yeah, that's great. So Laura, you have, what, what else would you like to share? Do you have another exercise we can do with you or? Maybe, uh, maybe we can do this. Um, so art, regardless of your, your medium, an artist is working in this realm um, that I call the quality realm. And it's not, it's not uh, like good quality and bad quality. But it's the realm, this feeling realm where you can sense how something, how one thing is different than another by feeling it. And I think that all artists work in that realm. And it's an interesting place to try to get some access to um, if you're not used to working in it. So we could try to access that realm a little bit of quality and since we're on we're doing a podcast which means we can't actually see anything um we thought maybe we could do it through through sound and um rudolf steiner gave a lot of exercises about accessing the quality realm um, and he always compared two things because that's kind of where how you can uh begin to see if I if I say to you what color is a sound it's really hard to get to if you only have one sound but if you have two sounds then a lot of things open up so we thought that we would do a little bit of that with some sounds and what I want you to do is I want you'll hear you'll hear a sound and and then you'll hear, and then we'll pause for a, a second, and then you'll hear another sound. And then you'll hear the first sound again, and then you'll hear the second sound again. And then what I want you to do is to tell me, and of course this is in cyberspace except for Laura or Matt, but um, tell me what color the first sound is or what color range, and then what color the second sound is. And then I'll ask you some more questions about them. So here comes your first sound. And the second sound. Here comes the first sound again. And the second sound. So Laura, if you had to choose a color, but everybody who's listening to this should actually choose your colors now before we say anything. 
yeah. Think about, yeah, how does that one feel? And if you had um, a whole bunch of colors in front of you, what would you choose? But then just, we're going to go ahead and, and tell you what Laura came up with at least. <laughs> okay, and, and just for everybody listening, and especially for my sake, there's no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer. Or there, is there a right answer? I'm just checking. There, there is no, there is no right or wrong answer. Okay. It, um, yeah, it's just a way to access this realm in yourself, this space in yourself, where you're perceiving it with something other than your intellect. So you may have to go, you may have to try one color and then go to the other sound and try a color with that one and then go back to the first one and try a color with that one back and forth. But if, if one of them is a distinct color, then ask yourself, could the other one be that same color? And sometimes the answer with this is yes, in some sort of funny way, but most of the time it's no, it's different. And that's an easier, easier way to get to that quality realm. Okay, well, they yep. certainly sounded different to me. And so when I was trying to associate a color, the first one for me was more of like a gray, blue sort of color that the, the first sort of, um, I don't know what, what that instrument was. <laughs> it was like a kind of like a gong bell sort gong. of thing. Yeah. Yeah, gong. And then the second one was like fuchsia or something. It was like a bright, like orangey with like pink tips or something. I don't know. It was kind of this combination. And that was a tambourine in case people weren't sure uh, what that was. But yeah, they, they, they definitely had different col colors to me. I've not done anything like that before, so it's really interesting. Mm. Uh, how about how about you two? Did you have colors? Were they different than mine? Yeah, a little bit different. Um, I think for me, the gong is um, kind of similar, like maybe purple, a bluish purple kind of color. Although I could also move it into like a really deep red. Color, that would also be possible. Um, and the tambourine is, yeah, kind of similar, kind of like an orangey. It's not, it, to me, it's not like a yellow because for me, the sound of a triangle being played is really yellow. So if I compare that to the tambourine, mm -hmm. the tambourine is not quite as bright as the, as the, uh, as the triangle. But you can see how you get, you're moving in that, in a space which you're not used to, usually most people are not used to moving in this space, mm -hmm. right? You got some colors? Yeah, for me, um, with the gong, also the, a deep blue or a deep red, but I noticed it sort of um, like, like tones of colors was what really, I could see or resonate with most clearly. So like the gong definitely felt like a darker shade and like deeper and darker. And then the tambourine, I same, same, I started with yellow, but it doesn't quite feel like yellow. When you said orange, Laura, that kind of felt like something in there, but definitely something brighter and uh, yeah, yeah, a brighter color. 
So this, this realm of quality um, and helping people to get to this realm of quality and doing these translations from one thing to the other, which you can also do with taste and smell, musical instruments, um, kinds of dance. You could, each thing can have a, a manifestation in a different medium. And sometimes I ask the students, um, if you met this color on a bus, what would it look like? What kind of person would it be? Um, you know, it would be really outgoing or really quiet. Um, so anyway, teaching in that way, that's basically what my life is doing. That's what I do. And I think that entering into that realm um, can really help people to access things that um, are beyond the material material world. And I think that's why Rudolf Steiner gave this whole set of exercises in Knowledge of Higher Worlds about um, accessing that, that quality realm. That was, that was amazing. And can you tell people how to find your classes? Because I know we're getting close to the end of our time, but um, I would like to keep having experiences like this. It, I feel like it woke my my brain up in a different way and maybe more of like the connection of my brain to the rest of me <laughs> rather than to just my keyboard and my screen, which I'm using a lot. Right. So it just, I, and I, I could feel it, you know, in my, in my body in a different way. So, so how do we, how do we find you? How do we find you too? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can find me. I, in two ways. And for some things, one thing is one way is easier and, for other things the other way. So if you have them both. Um, so there's two websites. One is freecolumbia.org. And that has a lot of the visual art uh, possibilities and the Zoom information on the Zoom calls and how to contact me so that you can uh, participate in Zoom calls or, or we actually teach person to person right now. Um, I'm starting a course on Saturday that um, where real life people will come into the same room and do artistic work together, which I'm really excited about. So all of that's on freecolumbia.org. And then um, laurasummer.com, you can also find that kind of information there as well as a little bit uh, wider picture of me as, a, as an artist, as a painter, what I do and um, stuff like that. So those are the best things. And I do have some of your beautiful art um in my house and Matt, just before we, we get to how to reach you, I wanna just say that I was able to have your original art in my house through something called an art dispersal. And I don't wanna miss talking about that. So could you just say something quickly about that? Otherwise, you know, it's hard for people to access original art, but you've created this way for people to do that. So could you talk about that for a moment and I'll make sure uh, we put a link in to what an art dispersal is. You have a nice little like video about that, so. Yeah, so an art dispersal um, is where we put paintings and other works of art sometimes up um, and we ask people if they would like to become the steward of the art and being a steward of the art means that you can take it off the wall and take it home, keep it for as long as you want, pass it along to somebody else who wants it, or if you don't need it anymore, you can give it back. Um, so it's a way to decommodify art 
you can't buy it as an investment and hope that in 10 years it's going to be worth a million dollars because it's actually not worth anything but you can have it for the rest of your life if you want to or pass it along to your children um, so it's a funny way of working with um, art that kind of shows us what what a commodity is and what a commodity isn't um, and we're going to be doing an online art dispersal at the um, AGM in October, and it's gonna be live. So if you're interested in that, you can go on one of those two websites. It's, it's on both, it's a little hard to find on Free Columbia right now, but it's a little bit easier to find on my website. So, but either one has the information about art dispersal and how to participate in it. Yeah, and uh, AGM, just so people know, the Anthroposophical Society does a conference every year. And so this art dispersal is part of that conference. And the live dispersals have been a part of the conference over the past few years as well, and at a lot of our events. So uh, that, that is super exciting. I'm, I can't wait. It'll be neat to have it online, too, and make it accessible to people that aren't there. Um, yeah. You know, this accessibility thing with art, and this really pushes it even further. Thanks, Laura. So Matt, um, Tell us more about, you know, how to find you. I know I just like search you on YouTube sometimes and listen to your songs and uh, share them with people. Um, and I don't know if you have anything you want to share in terms of some rhymes right now, but I want to put that out there as an opportunity if you want to do it uh, to close us out. But, but how do we find you and what are you up to? Um, <laughs> my manager over here is writing notes to me. <laughs> Laura, if it weren't for Laura, I might just be hiding out in the forest, <laughs> which I kind of am at the moment. Uh, yeah, uh, through um, on YouTube or social media, if you put in Matre, M-A-T-R-E music, then different things come up, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, I'm not super active right now on social media, but if people want to get in touch, they can send a message. And I do see my messages on Facebook or Instagram. And uh, yeah, we'd love to connect with folks and keep these conversations going. And thank you for having us. Oh my gosh, it's been great. We definitely didn't have enough time. Um, <laughs> so we might have to do this again. I hope you're open to it. The exercises, I don't think I've had anybody ever do an exercise on a podcast, um, but that's because you're creative people. So of course, you see <laughs> Yeah, thank you, artists. And I hope everybody will take a minute to do something um, after they listen to this podcast, something, the thing maybe that they thought of when you let us do that exercise, like listening to that hip hop or Bach or looking at Peter Pan or some beautiful writing or just doing some jazz dance. I'll do some jazz dance while I'm here. Something like that in their, in their house today. It's been amazing talking with the two of you. Thank you so much for taking some time today. Thank, Thank you. you, Laura. Thank you so yeah. much. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Check out our sponsor, Educare-Do. It's a nonprofit volunteer-run organization that offers accessible, experiential, self-directed distance learning courses based on the principal ideas of Rudolf Steiner. The courses are designed to awaken an individualized relationship to anthroposophy through readings, experiments, creative activities, and exercises towards inner development. Over 3,500 students from 30 countries have participated in their 26th lesson course in the Foundations of Anthroposophy. They also have several other anthroposophical courses available in different subject areas. 
The foundation year cost only cost around 260 US dollars. And as a sponsor of the podcast, $100 will be donated to the ASA, the Anthroposophical Society in America, for every individual enrollment in any of their courses using the code ASA. The Anthroposophical Society is also sponsoring a new educational initiative called Applied Anthroposophy. Check out this year-long online course at AppliedAnthroposophy.org. There's so many possibilities for learning more about anthroposophy, and this podcast is one of them. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us today on The Anthroposopher. Stay tuned for our next episode.